This is Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. All right, so episode 71, this is a cool one. T-Bone Travis Turner, I could see you. You're like a little kid in a candy shop. You're, oh, uh, yeah, um, yeah you're pretty excited. I fanboyed. Yeah. I followed this guy since uh, since MySpace. Like big fan of him for for years, and finally getting a chance to instead of just interacting on social media and getting messages and text messages back and forth and phone calls, to actually have a face to face conversation was uh, kind of awesome. Such a such a solid dude. Really enjoyed. I it. can see see why. Right, he's so humble. Uh, he's a gentleman. He's uh, his smiles infectious. Uh, hardcore hunter and and is a messaging man. Like. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I love what he was talking about our hunter heritage and you know how we got to stick stick by each other, right? Like it's such a great message. Oh yeah, like uh, he digs into it a little bit uh, near the end, talking about uh, Second Amendment and hunter heritage rights and all that, and it it just shows that we're we're having the same battle up here in BC as they're having in Alberta and in Ontario and Quebec and down throughout the states, right? It's it's about hunters needing to come together to. To, to stick up for what we believe in and uh, wh- what's best for wildlife, right? It's, it's, it's sad that we're at this, this point. However, just shows we're, we're a bigger team than we, we realized. Yeah. Uh, very, very good points that uh, T-Bone uh, brings up. A cool podcast with him. Uh, talk a little bit about, you know, where his, uh, you know, ethos comes from you know how he grew up where he came from his passion for archery his passion for the outdoors uh and then he talks about his his battle that he's just gone through with cancer and you know losing his leg and stuff so that's uh you know a great life story there it's sad that he's had to go through it but just the resilience that he he displays right he's such a a strong and positive guy right well, i thought it was pretty cool how he uh he he let out a little bit more than he's let out publicly before, as he said to us. He goes, I'm going to let you guys know a little bit more that I haven't told too many people. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. It shows uh, the, the trust and the conversation we were having and the, and the friendship that we, we developed this, this quickly. So it's some encouraging news uh, for those that are going to listen. So it's, yeah, he's just, I, I can't say it enough, such a positive and strong strong guy and it's inspiring it really is yeah and anyone for a trigger listen up there's a pretty cool recipe in there too so i saw you right um, i did but i didn't get it all i'm gonna have to bug him yeah, yeah when you when you reach out to him just tell him ask him to send me that recipe because I, <laughs> I wrote it down but there's a couple pieces that are missing uh anyway um great chat with um t-bone uh on the housekeeping side a couple things to highlight uh, we got our doll sheep uh, raffle on our wild sheep raffles get over there uh, one in 750 chance to go um, kill a massive doll sheep in the yukon with uh, kusawa lake outfitters uh, mac watson is the outfitter there does a fantastic job he's recently taken over that concession to kill some amazing rams and max just a, a great guy and uh, very supportive of conservationists uh, so uh, great opportunity to go to hunt doll sheep so those those tickets are still for sale if anyone's interested and we're going to draw that in august at the jurassic classic so oh, pretty cool that if there's one draw like every time I, I buy a raffle ticket i'm like you need to draw me on this if there's one you really need to draw me on it's this one i've always wanted a doll like cheaper yeah. cheaper next level but since i started hunting the number one for me was a doll so yeah i can understand why 
yeah. You've got one though, don't you? Yeah, I was really fortunate. I got a BC draw and uh, was lucky to harvest one. Very lucky to harvest one because, yeah, lucky for sure. Uh, and yeah, amazing. So they're so beautiful. I have it above my fireplace, and it's just like uh, you know, my wife is not super keen on a ton of mounts. She's not against them or whatever, but she's like, no, like I, you know, she 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 likes her. She, she's got a very classic and simple like and but and taxidermy does not fit that narrative but my doll sheep is in our main room it's and it's stunning it sits over the fireplace and just they're so amazing they're beautiful and i agree with you the doll is amazing and yeah 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 so just draw me on that like if you if you don't do anything else for me just draw me on that one yeah just just to be clear <laughs> we, we don't have control over that just so, i don't want anyone thinking that we pull favorites or can pull favorites yeah. it's but, it's all uh, computer, computer done. So, just, yeah. just for luck, right? Yeah. Just, just think of me sure. when you hit that button or Joe hits that button, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, and then we also have a membership drive uh, going on right now. We got a ton of giveaways, like a couple grand in prizes. We've got a, a sturgeon fishing trip on the Fraser River. Um, a ton of cool stuff. Um, this was uh, brought to us by. Uh, Wood Wheaton Super Center, uh, Don and the team over there supporting us on this membership drive. Um, so thanks to Wood Wheaton for stepping up on that. And uh, and if you're thinking about joining the society or you think you might want to upgrade, uh, there's never been a better time. This is this is a huge prize package for our members. Um, we got three prizes that we're giving away. And uh, so go over to our website, wildsheepsociety.com, get signed up. I uh, would love to have you join us. And again, we'll be drawing that um that winner in August as well. So, um, okay. So episode 71 with Travis T-Bone Turner. This is a great listen. Great guy. Uh, love to hear your feedback again, likes and shares helps us out. And if you want to see anything, anyone specifically on the show, let us know. So episode 71 T-Bone. Across Canada and throughout the world. If you come across a campfire in the woods, on a mountaintop or next to a river, you'll find warm company and friendly people gathered around. Regardless of your lifestyle or place you call home, we invite you to learn more about what it means to be a hunter in the modern era. If you love the outdoors, care about where your food comes from, and are concerned for the future of wildlife and the environments that they need to survive, pull up a seat. We have a story to tell. Welcome to our campfire. Good morning, uh, good afternoon, I guess, for you, T-Bone. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm totally pumped about this. Very cool. So it looks like you're sitting on your on your deck there. It looks looks nice. I, we're we're a little envious here. Where where are you sitting right now? Yeah, I'm on my. Uh, we got a a big back porch here, and it's uh you know it's a typical redneck back porch. You got a refrigerator, you got a cornhole <laughs> game, and you got a Traeger grill, and you've got a uh, cabinet system because you're running out of storage in the house so hey we're and then you got the lights up there too let's not forget about the lights up right up there yep you got the old trailer park lights so uh, <laughs> this is anybody this is my back porch for sure living the dream man living the dream you're doing it right the weather's so nice i mean it's uh today it's supposed to be 72 it's a little cloudy it's supposed to rain late this afternoon but uh i thought man i'm it's it's been kind of gloomy and cold for the last you know six or seven eight days. So I said I'm gonna I'm gonna sit outside a little bit. I said I, I wouldn't. I don't think nobody on this podcast would be upset about hearing some birds chirping and stuff. <laughs> spring weather. That's awesome. Well done. Living it. Living the dream. Doing it right. Good for you. 
well, awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show, T Bone. And I guess maybe uh, you know, for our listeners, uh, you know, that maybe don't know enough about you, let's talk a little about you and who you are, and and um, maybe a little bit about the show. Like, just just give us a, a high level overview of, of who T Bone is. Yeah. Um. Started archery, uh, you know, just like so many other folks, you know, you started hunting and fishing and, you know, had that influence with my dad, my uncles and our, you know, family, friends and such. So I started doing that at a young age. Uh, it was a passion that was rooted in me. Didn't really start archery. Uh, my dad bought me a bow when I was about 10. Had a bad experience in that. So I, I was kind of negative towards archery. But then after deer hunting for a while, I started uh, uh you know rifle hunting i went back to archery about i i guess it was probably first year out of high school uh absolutely loved loved archery couldn't get enough of it um and uh and and, and that was like in the late 80s um that brought me to you know you, you trying to define as a young person where you're gonna you, you know what are you gonna do for a living as far as like you know a career or whatever i couldn't really find my path so i ended up uh, going to HVA school, HVAC school, got a two-year degree in that, and I've never, ever worked in that field at all. By the time I got out of school, I was like, uh, I, man, I don't want to do this for a living. I worked at Mercedes-Benz for nine years, and I shot competitive archery while I was doing that. And I thought, while I'm young, while I am uh, you know, don't have any responsibilities or anything like that, I was like, man, I, uh, I, I, re I really want to um, – do something in the the outdoor industry and I thought well now's a perfect time to try that and the reason why the perfect time to try that is because uh you know you don't have many responsibilities and such so while I was still living at home I started uh I, I quit my job working downtown Atlanta for Mercedes-Benz went to work uh at a local archery shop I just couldn't get enough of archery you know so I thought man this is the dream job I even though I took about a 10 or $15,000 a year pay cut. I was like, I don't have to deal with the traffic going to Atlanta. I'm sitting here telling hunting stories, getting people ready for the woods, you know, and, and ready for their tournaments and stuff like that. And, uh, and, and, you know, you, it's been said a thousand times. If you do something for a living, that's your passion. You never feel like you work a day in your life. So that led into opening my own shop in, in 94, um, I got lucky enough in 91 to win the world championship in 3D archery. I shot professionally all the way through the 90s. I met uh, Michael Waddell, met uh, the guys at Realtree because I'm only 45 minutes from headquarters there. And I met those guys, started doing all their work on their bows and facilitating guests that they would have, you know, back in the TNN days and the ESPN days, way back when, uh, you know, they'd have a lot of ball players on and country music singers and would set them got set those guys up so that they had a great experience in archery and bow hunting and such and and then uh you know started being a sidekick for jeff foxworthy around 99 2000 uh you know doing some comedy stuff through the outdoor industry as well as with you know with with real tree and then uh you know me michael and nick became great friends through real tree and uh you know me and nick appeared on real tree road trips throughout the 2000s which was a television show was still going actually Tyler hosts it now. And then we started in 2007. I sold my business, had it for 12 years. I sold my archery shop that I'd had sold it and then rolled right into, you know, I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I, I worked for the person that I sold it to for two years to trans transfer uh, clientele. And then we started bone collector about the same time. And, um, you know, thinking, 
well, this may last a year or two. And then, you know, I'll be fletching arrows at some Gander Mountain or Cabela's or something somewhere. And, man, it just we've been truly blessed. And Bone Collectors has been going well since since 2008. So I think we're in year 14 or 15 now. So truly, truly been blessed. Absolutely. Throughout the, the whole career, you, you never know what door might open next. But, you know, it, when I started working at an archery shop in uh, Dallas, Georgia, I, I never knew it would take me to this. That's phenomenal. What a story and what a journey. Uh, so many things to talk about there. But, uh, you know, if we look back and uh, let, let's just touch base on the archery. So it's funny. You got that bow at 10 from your, your father and, and di- didn't really, weren't really into it. And it was, you know, of course, it was probably the bow itself that was a reflection of that. But, uh, you know, fast forward to, you know, winning the, uh, uh, you know, Outdoor 3D Worlds. Um, you know, how do you go from not even liking picking up your first bow to being a world champion? What was that transition like? How did that happen? Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool story, um, to be honest. So my dad bought me a bow for getting good grades. Probably the last time I got good grades, to be honest with you. <laughs> 10 years old, he bought me a bow for getting good grades. But my dad didn't know much about it. He bought me a 45-pound recurve. And for a 9- or 10-year-old, that's, that's, <laughs> that's pretty healthy, you know. So I'm only bending the string 10 or 12 inches as a 10-year-old. So, you know, I whack my arm a few times, and all I'm really doing is just watching the arrow fly. You know how we all, when we was kids, you shoot it up in the air and just watch it fly and run over and get it and shoot it again in a field. So I went through that for three or four months, and I'm like, man, I don't like this. I just can't pull a 45-pound bow. You know, it's like I'm never going to do archery. Well, the transition from 10 years old to I played football all through middle school and high school, and, you know, I'm, you know, I'm benching 300 pounds when I, I'm not saying I'm a Hulk or anything like that. I'm just saying I did, I'm a big dude. So I ended up getting to where I could bench, you know, 300 pounds. And, uh, but still in my mind, you know, the transformation from a 10 year old to an 18 year old, you really gain a lot of strength and agility and you're, you're, you're a young man now, but in my head, man, I couldn't pull 45 pounds, but yet I'm benching 300 pounds and I'm a lineman for our high school and stuff. So the year out of high school, I was in a hunting club and I was rifle hunting and I was real more, more into fishing throughout the spring and summer. And then we'd start, you know, rifle hunting come late October. So, uh, you know, they start shooting their bows and stuff in June. All my buddies was, and I was like, oh man, I ain't doing that. And they said, come on, get a bow. And I'm like, nah, I'm not going to do that. You just end up wounding a bunch of deer and you know, it's, it's, you know, it's hot and you got to deal with all the, you know, down here in the South, our season opens the first week of September and you got to deal with bugs and the heat and there's just so many excuses not to go. And I said, man, I ain't doing that. <clears throat> they said, well, we're, we're not going to be fishing much anymore. So if I was going to hang out with my buddies, they said, come on, get a bow. So I said, okay, went to, went on, went to the store on a Wednesday. I'm 18 or 19 years old. The guy, you know, I, I go to buy this bow and the whole time I got anxiety. I'm like, I'm not going to be able to pull this bow back. I can't pull this bow back. I'm, I'm buying a bow. I'm sitting here spending four or $500 on a bow setup that I'm not going to be able to pull. <clears throat> Excuse me, guys. So the guy said, all right, I need you to pull it back so I can set your peep sight. And what what pounds do you want it on? It was an 80-pound bow. He backed it down. He said, 64 is about as low as I can go with it. I said, right, leave it there. And he, I said, just tie the peep in where you think it needs to be. I wouldn't even pull it back in the store for fear of being embarrassed. So my buddies are over here the whole time I'm getting set up. They're talking to a guy that was in the store that ran the local archery range and set up tournaments. You know, about it, if y'all are familiar with 3D tournaments, about once a month, you know, these clubs have t- 3D tournaments. Well, the one in our county that we lived in was coming up that weekend. And I, I wasn't really paying attention. I was more anxiety, stress, and, 
you know, chewing my fingernails about, oh my God, I'm gonna have to try to pull this 64 pound bow in front of these guys. And, and all my buddies were shooting 75, 80 pounds and they're half my size. And here I am worried about 64. So, so silly. So absolutely silly. The, the adolescent mind, golly. But anyway, I was afraid of it. So I took the bow home. They've got this education about tournaments. They're thinking about doing tournaments. I go home and I'm like, I got to pull this bow sometime. I'm $450 short. I got to try to pull this bow. So I'm in my bedroom. I'm still living at home. I said, all right, here we go. I said, one, two, three. And I, I about yanked the wheels off it. Absolutely <laughs> I pulled it in two. And, and it was just instantaneous. It's just like, man, I'm going to be able to do this. I'm going to be able to do this. So the next day I went to my buddy's house and we shot and shot and they helped me get my bow set sighted in. And, you know, they knew a little bit, you know, they never had been to a tournaments or nothing like that, but they knew a little bit about getting me coached in. And luckily the peep site was okay, I guess, tied in. So we shot and shot Thursday and I was loving it. Shot Friday. All, we're all dialed in. I had my six arrows. So Saturday comes, we shot all day and my, my arms are like wet noodles, man. Cause we all had shot all day. And they said, you going to the tournament with us on Sunday? And I'm like, no, man, I just bought a bow on Wednesday. There's no way I'm going to a tournament. And they said, come on, we've never shot one either, and you're doing great. I'm like, okay. So we show up, and my idea of a tournament before – now, granted, you know, I'm 19 years old, and, and this is back in the early uh, – late 80s. Probably you guys too. Like I used to look into a encyclopedia, and you see like 100 people in white suits on a line getting ready to shoot down there. You know, it's we, we got way more information now, but – Back in 1988, you look up archery tournament, you look in an encyclopedia because there was no internet, and I'm thinking, like, I'm going to have to stand in line. I'm like, I ain't even got a white outfit. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't like that at all. 3D archery is just like, a lot like golf. You get a group of your buddies, you sign up, you go through the woods, and you shoot 20, 25, 30 targets, yeah. and you score amongst yourself just like in golf. And then before you know it, you've had a great time. So. I beat all my guys, all the guys in my group. We signed up for the novice division, which is the beginning division. We had a great time. I mean, absolute great time. And I was like, I cannot believe I beat all my buddies. Well, then we turned the scorecards in. There was like, I don't know, 30-something people in that class. And it turned out I had the highest score of any beginner. So I went from scared to pull 64 pounds on a Wednesday to winning my first tournament in the beginner's division so I was like, man, I ain't never been good at nothing. I ain't good at football. I ain't. I mean, the only thing I can do is float good in the water when I go in a swimming pool, and, <laughs> and I can shoot a bow pretty decent. So I was off and running. I couldn't get enough of it. I killed my first deer that year. Uh, every tournament that was ever within 150 miles of my house, uh, me and my guys, my, my buddies, from that point on, I, I mean, every moment away from work, I was spending on archery, gaining more knowledge. I, I would run – you know, you couldn't look up on YouTube. You can't do any of that. We'd get off work at five and we'd drive 45 minutes north to the local. It wasn't not local. It was the best archery shop around. So we went to it and we'd spend, we'd get there 30 minutes before closing. We'd get there just so we could hang out for 30 minutes and then drive 45 minutes home just so that we could be in that and maybe pick up some knowledge. It was, and I was reading everything, Chuck Adams. I mean, uh, Fred Bear, just anything I could get my hands on having to do with bow hunting or to archery. Um, I just couldn't get enough of it. So, so that summer of 88 created a monster and I, I just haven't looked back. I just absolutely love archery. Can't get enough of it. Oh, that's awesome. Well, you know, so there's been, a, there's been a lot going on in your life and as of late too. And, and, uh, so 
let's talk a little bit about, I guess, um, a little bit about uh, your leg, I guess, really. Like, yeah. you know, let's talk about um, what you've gone through in this last year and the evolution for you in, in your personal life, if you don't mind, Tebow. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we all have speed bumps in our life and, uh, you know, we, we, things are rocking along. So blessed just having a living the dream, you know, we're, you know, doing a, our show bone collector, real tree road trips, working with real tree. And, you know, I've been the national, I'm the national spokesperson for whitetails unlimited and <clears throat> traveling around doing lots of, uh, uh, appearances and such like that. Just, just an absolute blessing of a life getting to hunt all over the place. And, uh, you know, you know, buying, buying, bought my first farm, uh, a couple of years ago in Kansas, things just going so well. And then, uh, you know, and I'm not saying everybody has to deal with speed bumps and such, but in July I had a knot come up on my shin. It was about like a size of a grape. And I thought no big deal. I'm like, you know, it may go away. I, I had a hematoma from when I had fell there about 10 or 11 years ago, I was hunting in Northern Wisconsin and I fell in the snow and I hit a, I hit a stump. So it caused a hematoma no blood clots, nothing break in or anything like that. They just said, Hey, you're just going to have to deal with this little mound. It's, it may take a while to go away. I had no idea that it would stay for, you know, 10 years or so, but right beside that is where that little, little bump popped up from the little grape size bump. So I'm thinking episode of pepple popper or something like that. You know, it's <laughs> might be a little cyst. We'll get a little white yeah. goo out of it and we're good to go. So, uh, I uh, went. I was. I was actually in the hospital for a tick bite in July on my other leg that got infected. And it, while I was in there, I, I asked them. I said, "What about this bump?" You know. And they had the ultrasound out because they're checking for blood clots. And they said, "Well, it has its own blood supply. I do know that." Said so you might you just pay attention to it and you know keep an eye on it. So about a week and a half later, it doubled in size. So I went to my primary care, which I'm really good friends with, and he's a hunter. And I said, "You know what about this doc?" I said, "Uh." you know, it's growing pretty big and he goes, probably nothing, but we'll keep an eye on it. And, uh, so another week went by and it, it grew quite a bit more. He said, yeah, it's pretty aggressive. He goes, let's, let's get you to someone that's, uh, uh, you know, a little more specified in that. So we, it was another friend of ours, uh, Dr. Majors. I went and seen him and he said, yeah, we need to do a biopsy on it. First thing I want to do is I want to do a, a MRI. So we did an MRI and he says, well, there's quite a bit of a, more of a mass intertwined within your leg it's more than what we're just seeing above the skin. And, you know, the whole time this thing is growing. I mean, it's nearly doubling in size every week. So, which is, which is fast to me. I was like, golly. So, uh, we did a biopsy and it squirted blood all over the place. You know, he's like, man, it's got its own blood supply. It's really, it's really growing. I mean, it's really wanting to, it's aggressive. He sent it off thinking it wasn't much. We'd probably just end up cutting the cyst out and that would be it took seven or eight days for it to come back. By the time it came back, it had already busted through my skin. And now it's on the outside growing because the, you know, you, you don't have a lot of meat on your shin. You know, it's, it's not like there's a lot to give. So it busted out. It's growing out now. And, uh, he, you know, he told me then this was at the end of September that it is cancer. It's fibrosarcoma, which is a rare type of cancer, only about 15,000 cases a year, usually in men over 50. Um, and it's usually on your legs or your arms, or sometimes a lot of people get them on their neck or, you know, and dogs get them a lot actually. So regardless, uh, you know, that was kind of a scary kind of deal. So, uh, you know, you hear the big C word, my wife and son were going on a trip 
that weekend of a vacation, quick vacation trip that weekend to Philadelphia. So I found out the news on a Wednesday, kept it to myself. I'm like, I'm not going to ruin their vacation. There's nothing that they can do over the next seven days. So I'll tell them when they get back. So uh, I told my best friend, uh, you know, I had to have somebody talk to about it. So I talked, you know, he and I talked about it a lot. And I told my wife when she got back and we, you know, we started the plan of attack. So then we transferred over to Emory Winship Cancer Center in Atlanta. They're well-versed in sarcoma. We researched a lot of different cancer institutes, MD Anderson, which is in Houston, the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. Um, you know, I, I'm not saying that we research stuff out your guys' way because it's just so far to travel. And at some point you got to, you know, it's the same t- type of treatment. So uh, Winship Cancer Center in Atlanta was well-versed in uh, can- uh, sarcoma treatment. So we went there. And they wanted to start immediately chemo treatment. And I'm thinking like, well, it's in my leg. And they said, well, it usually travels to your lung next. You know, that's the way sarcoma works. So what we want to do is rather than operating on your leg, if we don't get 100% of it out, then we're in, we're in bad trouble there. So we need to make sure that your body is clear of it. So they did scans, made sure. It didn't I had one nodule in my lung, and which we're actually still staying, staying on top of right now. I got one nodule in my lung. Don't know if it's cancer. We just got a nodule in the lung and it's suspected that it is cancer. They won't know unless we do a biopsy. But we wanted to make sure the chemo treatment that we we made sure that the body was clear before we started, before we either amputated my leg or operated on my leg. Well, it was obvious that it was growing so fast that there's no way that, that you could remove it effectively. If you don't remove 100% of it, it's coming back. That's just the way sarcoma is. It's coming back. So uh, we did the chemo treatment, which was pretty rough and real aggressive. Most chemo treatments, I don't know if you guys, I mean, everybody's affected by cancer in some form or fashion, but most people who get cancer or chemo treatments, they go in, they go to an infusion center, you're there for three or four hours, and then you go home, and naturally you feel bad for the next two or three weeks, and then you go for your next treatment. Mine was so aggressive, I didn't realize this, and I'm kind of glad that I didn't because they put me in the the treatment uh, center, and I would be admitted for five days. They'd give me two types of chemo nonstop for five days, basically taking me to death's door. I wouldn't feel that till about, about the third day I got home. And then like everything crashed, red blood cells, white blood cells. Um, uh, I would get infections easy. I mean, extremely easy. So I'd have to be readmitted like three days after I got out of the hospital for another five or six days to get my red blood cells back. I'd have to have platelet transp- uh, transfusions. Uh, red blood cells transfusions and then they'd have to you know give me non-stop antibiotics so that any infection I had because you know you can go septic real quick so uh, I, I did that you know three or four routines all the way to the end of the year um, they said look we're, we're, we're done with the chemo now we need to let you rest for six weeks so that the chemo's out of your body and then we can uh, amputate your leg so that brought brings us to February 7th when I had my leg amputated. I will say this, I I haven't shared this with a lot of people, but uh, I went back two weeks, two weeks ago. Well, I went back yesterday, but I'll tell you about two weeks ago, they did a biopsy. I went back for a checkup. They did a biopsy on my leg and the chemo treatment that we chose because there's about 60 different types of sarcoma, the the chemo treatment that they chose, uh, you know, they don't know how it's going to work. So they, they defined it. It's We know it's one of these tw- 20 type of sarcomas, and this is the chemo treatment we're going to choose. Um, 
when they when they chose it, they're not sure that if it's going to kill it totally, knock it back or whatever. Well, when they did the pathology report on my leg, it had killed 99.3% of all of the, the wow. yeah. So I'm th- when he told me that, I'm like, wait a minute, doc, you tell me that you killed all the cancer in my leg, but yet you still needed to cut my leg off. He goes, wait a minute. He goes, no, no, you still have that tumor that's intertwined. And we would have had to, you know, it would have been a unbelievable. There's no way we could have got all of that out of there. It's just dead tissue. Then you run into circulation issues. Then you run into, uh, you know, bacteria and, uh, infections and stuff. He goes, we did the right thing, regardless if it killed it or not killed it. We did the right thing. We feel like we got it. I said, okay. And then now we, now I went back yesterday for a CAT scan and uh, I still have the nodule in my lung. And then uh, we're going to a thoracic surgeon uh, and we're going to have to do a biopsy on the nodule in my lung. And or if you're going in there, it's only uh, five to seven millimeters. So it's a small nodule. We don't he doesn't think that it is cancer. However, you can't turn a blind eye to it. So it's that small. If you're going in there for a biopsy, you're just going to remove the whole thing, pull it out, and then we'll determine what it was and then hopefully i i should be you know thinking positive 100 percent cancer free then that's awesome yeah yeah I, I remember seeing your your uh your instagram where you told everybody i was like my heart dropped i'm like holy crap i've followed this guy since like myspace it's yeah. like growing up with you kind of thing but yeah it's that's that, that that's good news as it can be like that's that's uh, encouraging. Yeah, um, it, you know, it's a, uh, there, it's going to be a life change because I'm still, I'm just now finishing up my healing on my stump so that I can get a shrinker put on it to get myself a prosthetic, and hopefully things will go a lot smoother once that happens. Because uh, it it has been humbling, meaning like I've always had the positive mindset. Like when I went to rehab, I'm like, I went in there the first day. I, I know I'm getting long winded guys, but I went into the rehab first day and I'm like, I'm fixing a Rocky Balboa this man. I'm going to turn this thing out. I'm going to show them, you know, I'm a big guy, but I got positive attitudes and I like to get out, get after it. And they said, just, Hey, pump the brakes a little bit. Cause you know, you're, you're, you're going at it real hard. We appreciate your enthusiasm and your positive attitude, but you got to save what you got. You blow a shoulder out cause you're getting around on a walker and or you know you're needing it for moving around or you blow a knee out then you're definitely no mobility so you you gotta save what you got but yet you know build up what you got too so you got to be smart about what you're doing and trying so i've uh, i've actually fell a couple of times you know trying to like i tried to get into a truck but it was all equipment related it wasn't like which but you still got to make sure that your equipment's right like i was getting up out of the the wheelchair and the wheelchair handle gave way about four inches. Didn't break, oh, wow. but it just gave way. And it was on my, my stump side, so there's nothing to catch. And I'm in the hallway. So down goes Fraser, man. I mean, a big thump. And then, you, then you're then you down there and you think, I'll just get right back up. Well, it, it you know, without one leg, you know, and, and then on a tile fuller, it ain't that, it ain't that easy. So, uh, yeah, it's real humbling. So you got to make sure that – and, and then, then my wound busted open a little bit. And it started oozing, so that was about you know about a ten day setback. So you gotta you gotta play it safe, but you gotta play it smart. Well, you know, good on you, T Bone, for you know your positivity, and, and you know I've been watching your journey a little bit too here, and um, just you know you are an inspiration, man, and just you know your positive attitude and can and can do it. And the thing for me that I take away is that you're always smiling. Like there, there's never 
you know, you, uh, and so yeah, total inspiration. So like, how, how's that transition been? Like, you know, you get up in the morning, you talk about, you know, tree stands or bow or archery or, or white tails or, and now you're talking about uh, sarcoma and, and all this crap. So how's that transition been? How, how have you found that? Is it, uh, and do you see, I guess you have some inspiration in the sense that you feel like you're really, really close to getting that green light and then, and then you can hustle on and go get back to focusing on hunting. But how's that been for you and your family that, that this aspect of it? Yeah. It, um, it's in some areas it's been easier than I thought. And in some areas there it, it's hard it, you know, it's been, been real rough on my wife, but man, she's been, she's been an absolute saint through all this. And, uh, my son, he's uh, 16, which most 16 year olds can be pretty hard headed, but, um, he's autistic as well. So, uh, at first when I was going through the chemo, it was really tough on him to see his dad beat down and, you know, lose his hair. My old hair is coming back pretty good now, but, but, uh, <laughs> anyway, he, uh, it was rough for him to see dad getting beat down and, and, uh, you know, really had to talk him through it, but now he's, he's doing a lot better, you know? So, um, you know, he's been a big help, you know, the, I try to do as much as I can for myself, but sometimes, you know, they, they tell me, said, you know, I've, I've always been, independent and do do for myself but they they said man if there's any time in your life that you need to reach out and ask somebody for help you know but don't be afraid to do so i've had just an unbelievable amount of support from friends uh you know my my i got a three or four good buddies that come over here they built a ramp put rails in my my bathrooms you know safety rails and stuff like that so and honestly i, I from the outpouring on social media and stuff i i feel like i could do a post or pick up the phone and say, look guys, we need to build a ramp from here down to my dock on my, my lake. And I promise you, I, I really feel like a thousand people would show up and we'd have that thing knocked out in a day. And, and, and that's just a testament to, wow, man, I, I, I've got a lot of people that really care about me. I, I guess I've, I've done something pretty good throughout my life. You know, I mean, I've touched a lot of people and I don't mean that arrogantly, but, 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 uh, just appreciatively. That's fantastic. And absolutely you have. Um, so hats off to you. So if it's cool, we'll talk a little hunting now. So yeah, absolutely, we, man, let's, <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. Awesome. So, um, you know, I, I'd like to, you know, you've done so much and it's all documented. A lot of it's documented. Is there one hunt for you that stands out? Like, you know, what, when you think back of all the memories you've created over the years, what stands out the most for you, Tebow? Man, it, it's it's really hard. I, you know, I'm I'm humbled about all the, you know, just all the. Yeah, I never thought like when I was shooting the first tournament back then. I never thought I, I was like the the ultimate dream or my goal was like running an archery shop when I while I was running an archery shop and traveling around the country, you know, shooting tournaments up till the early 2000s. I thought, man, you know what, my dream would be if I could kill a 150 inch whitetail in the Midwest, that's it. You know, I just never thought that a fat, flat-footed guy from Georgia is going to have that many opportunities. And then, you know, through Realtree and then, of course, uh, uh, you know, the Michael and, and the show and stuff, and I've, I've far outlived my dream. It's so hard. We get asked that a lot, you know, whenever we do in interviews or podcasts and stuff. And it's hard to narrow it down to, to, to one. Um, I mean, like I, I – I killed a re- I killed a buck that was like 110 inches with my recurve here on my own property. 
it's pretty special. You know, I did, we didn't film it. It was years ago. That one was pretty special, you know, just cause you, you know, if you ever think you're awesome at archery and, you know, with a compound bow, pick yourself up a recurve, which I love. Rec- I love any, if it has to do with flinging an arrow, I love it. But you pick yourself up a recurve and, and, and thinking that 23 yards is a mile. Yep. Oh my gosh. It's humbling. So, um, to, to do that, I know it sounds like, oh, oh well, it's a 110 inch buck with a recurve. I'm like, no, no. So I'm on farm and, uh, I missed, I missed eight or nine does before I got that buck. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, no, that, that one meant a lot. Um, my son, he doesn't hunt. He likes bird hunting. He likes duck hunting. So times I've spent with him in the waterfowl blind, those have been pretty special, you know, just to see him in dove fields, man, to watch him on a dove field. He's part bird dog. He don't like to shoot because of the noises and stuff, but he puts his headphones on. And if y'all have ever dove hunted, you know, there's always a volley on the dove field and you're always saying like, Hey, Timmy, man, we got one coming over your head. Blah, blah. He loves that volley. He loves the camaraderie, the big eating that we do before we, you know, so, so those have been pretty special memories. And, you know, of course, hunts with my dad when I was younger. Uh, um, but, but in my career, I guess if you're asking, you know, of the things that's been documented, um, the, the 2020 season was a pretty darn special season. I, I got to admit, I, I, I killed, it started off, I killed like a 140 inch buck in Kentucky and then, and then stay with me. Don't get me wrong because like we, we, that we're expected to do that. We go to some pretty good places, you know what I mean? But then the next stop was my own farm in Kansas. I purchased it. So the pride factor goes up. You know how that is. You know what I mean? It's like, Hey, I made this sandwich in my own kitchen not you know what i mean i made that sandwich in my own kitchen so uh, you know we had worked all summer long all spring long and uh this was my own farm and i killed my biggest whitetail ever it it, uh with a bow it grows scored 180 183 yeah man so i'm on cloud nine i'm like if i don't if i don't kill a cockroach the rest of the year man i i (laughs) right here so then I come home and I had two good deer on camera right here at my house. I've got 90 acres right here at my house, which is, which is not much, but for our area, it's pretty good. And I'm proud of it. I mean, cause, cause I mean, I, 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 I built it up just by buying little, my neighbor's properties and stuff. And man, I had two phenomenal deer on camera and I'm like, you know, that they're all over the neighbors and everything like that. For me to even get a chance at one of these vampires down here in Georgia is, is a, a testament because they, they are so nocturnal. I mean, it's very hard to get a, uh, so then right after t- two weeks after I killed the one in Kansas, I killed the, my largest buck with a bow in Georgia and he, he grossed 158 and, uh, netted 152 ends up being the second biggest buck in the County. And, uh, then I had another deer that was day that was on the trail cameras while I shot that deer. He's 350 yards away on a camera the same time daylight but where he was at was right on the property line and there was no way or close to the property line and there was no way that i could get up uh if i tried to put a bow stand in there or you know because i wanted to try to film it for our show if i tried to put something in there i would have never i would have blew him out and that would have been the end of it he was real sensitive he was real comfortable right now low pressure and everything that the, the chest matched by placing uh you know, the food plots and, uh, the protein feeders and stuff that he's been on all year long, way up close to the house. You know, everybody's like, why are you putting your feeders so close to the house? I'm like, they're going to be eating them at night. Anyway, I want them to eat them at night while I'm in the bed. 
That way they're used to traveling my property all the time. So he was dragging himself through the property and he was comfortable daylight on another piece of my property. So I was going to intercept him on his way to the uh, protein feeder that he's so used to. So I had the foresight. I took my, my skid steer and I put uh, three big root balls. You know how when a tree falls over and the root balls, we cut the tree up and the heck left the root balls. And I built a blind out of root balls, put a blind behind it. I did this in August thinking I'm going to go ahead and put it here now so that he's used to it. If I need to shoot with a muzzle loader or a rifle, I can do so. It'll be set up. It won't be like something like, oh, crap, I'm not going to be able to get him with a bow. So I'm glad I you know, planned way, 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 way ahead. So muzzle loader's coming up. The first day, the wind was wrong, so I didn't hunt him, but he was there. He, was, he, he came an hour before dark, and the wind changed. Everything It wasn't raining the next day, so we went in there the next day, and I got him. Anyway, he he gross scored 186 for Georgia. Wow. Yeah, wow. A 186 non-typical, and uh, he he turns out I had no idea, but he's the number two muzzleloader kill in the whole entire state of Georgia forever, not just last Holy. year. Forever. Congratulations, man. Yeah, so I was done. So you know that was a pr- pretty special year, and it and it just so happened all of those was on my own ground, homegrown. You know, not like uh. Not that there's anything wrong with hunting with an outfitter because we all have to do that from time to time. And, uh, you know, you're, you're relying on their, their skill set, but yeah, those were all self done, you know, and everything. So it added to the pride factor, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and the, the genetics, eh? no one knows genetics are on your farm. That's, yeah. that's phenomenal. You know, that that's going to, you know, properly manage what you will, that they're going to, that's going to elicit amazing harvest for years. That's incredible. Yeah. I've been here for 20 something years. I, I, the first year I had this place, no, I've been here since 99. So the first year I, I had the small piece, I only had 27 acres. I started with, I, I killed a buck, a nine pointer that scored 152, which was a good deer. But since then I've only taken like two bucks over 20 years. And there's so many, I mean, they're just, hasn't been anything until 2020 and then those two were huge and uh then everybody you know naturally all the local guys are asking me like what you got this year man what you got this year and i'm like hey guys back to reality that was just a one one time deal i mean that was just a one moment in time i said we're it, it's 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 back to you know 120 inch eight pointers now <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i just did a quick google of it holy crap what a monster yeah. holy that's that's very cool so okay so we talked a little bit about some of your accomplishments and those are some freaking accomplishments uh you know 180 class 180 inch class whitetails are phenomenal that's the stuff we all dream about uh so what what does the future hold so you know i guess a lot of it now there's you know there's the learning aspect with your you know your prosthetic and and tree stand hunting and what that looks like but uh what what's kind of on the radar coming up for you what do you have looking forward for you in the in the short term i guess yeah right now just uh, just healing you know basically yeah. doing a little better each day trying to keep a positive attitude because it's real easy uh you know to to get down in the dumps poke your lip out you know and like woe is me and and i and I'm so proud of myself. Uh, you know, I guess I am tooting my own horn right now to to stay grounded in this. You know, a lot of people would be pounding their head on a tree like, man, I don't get to hunt anywhere. You know, and they're like, my life is over, and I'm I'm not I'm not wired that way. I'm I'm like, man, I like I like I told you guys, if I don't get to hunt again, I've already far outlived my dreams. However, you know, I still want to aspire to do. You know, I still can shoot a bow. I know that, I, you know, between hunting and blinds, and I would like to think that I could definitely 
you know, I, I think I would like to think that maybe I could climb a ladder stand in the future or definitely get into, you know, like elevated blinds, like the redneck blinds that are so popular and for sure can do ground blinds. I know that's going to happen. So, you know, hunting, I think, you know, it's going to be a little different, but, and may need a little help, but it's certainly going to happen. Still got my farm in Kansas and we've got, uh, uh, you know, places here and, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's places that are accommodating. I'm not the only person that's ever hunted that, you know, is missing a leg, but, uh, you know, you talk about conservation and stuff, just switching gears to you. I, I'm going to always work on a bow. I've already been down in my archery boat, uh, dojo down there. I got a shop in my basement and I'm always, you know, looking for a better mousetrap, tuning on bows, working on bows. So that's not going to change. That's still going to be the same. I can, I can still get down there and do that. No problem. But on the conservation, uh, the one thing I'm focused on, and this may seem so silly is, uh, I, you know, I bought a skid steer about four or five years ago for doing stuff. And then I've got a, a tractor and my, my main focus is I love doing things on that skid steer, you know, land improvement, uh, you know, just tr- trimming limbs, bush hogging. My goal is to be able to get in that, uh, skid steer as well as the tractor. That's my biggest thing is like, I just love the, the whole aspect or the whole, uh, you know, uh, everything to do with, you know, just like I told you about those deer, you know, it may seem like, yeah, you got lucky and you went out there and hunting those deer. But I think that we put plans in motion six, eight, ten months in advance for that for that right opportunity. So it's it was well, well preparation. And I get just as much out of all of the management stuff as I do the actual hunt. You know, so many folk, folks are focused on the hunt and I get it. You know, a lot of people, most people are blue collar workers and they don't get that much time to do those things and they want to focus on the hunt and that's the way it should be. Absolutely. But fortunately for me, I've had, I got the time and I I want to be able to do those management things, you know, food plots and do, do anything that I can within the tractor and skid steer. So that's my, my number one focus is getting some diesel therapy. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, it's funny. You talk about the preparation and, and eight to 10 months. This has been 20 years. You bought that property 20 years ago. You've been working to that point for 20 years. And I, I can imagine how rewarding that would be knowing that you put that time effort and uh, into that, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and everybody can, uh, uh, you know, uh, you buy your first bow, you're proud of that bow. You know, you take care of that bow. It's like, this is my bow. I didn't borrow this bow. This is my bow. You know, everybody, it's like, this is my house. When you buy something, you have ownership in it. There, there's no better reward than to, you know, it's like, you know what? I cleaned my gutters this weekend. I cut my grass. There's something to be said for that. I just bought my truck. Yep. Yeah. Except for yeah, well, when you're going like, I got another payment to write out. That ain't no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, that's what makes it so bloody special too, right? It's, it's you know, that that uh, sweat equity that you put into it and, and to make it work and where it's really rewarding in the end. So, yeah, good on you. Okay, so uh, we talked about killing them. Let's talk about eating them. I see your Traeger back there. What's your favorite Traeger <laughs> recipe? Oh man, I got a good one for you. It's a deer cube steak. Of course, of course, you can use any type of meat, but uh, deer cube steak. It's not just a standard. I don't know. I don't know what we call them, but I'll try to paint a picture for you. Pretty good. So you take you take a cube steak and you marinate it in Italian dressing. Okay, and then you take a, a mushrooms onions and green peppers almost like a fajita mix and you saute all those up and and you we call that the gubbins you get the gubbins going you get all that going and then then what you do is you take and stuff that you take a piece of 
the the, the cube steak. I'm my mouth watering talking about it, man. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> so you take the cube steak and you put the the gubbins in the center, and then you take cream cheese, like a like a tablespoon or a yeah. teaspoon of cream cheese. Put it in there, roll it up, and then peg it, and then wrap it in bacon. Oh. Throw it on. Yeah, throw it on the Traeger, and when the when the um, I forget the temperature. I want to say 350, but when the bacon gets crispy, everything's done. And you talk about oh man, and these these things we make probably makes three times as many as we need to for a meal because they're even better. Like the second third day when you warm them back up, oh, wow. you know, it's like, oh, I don't I don't want warmed up food. Now we put them in an aluminum pan, put them in the refrigerator, and then you can you can just warm them back up, and then all that sauce and goodness just get <laughs> up. oh man that, that's my that's my favorite but there's there's a thousand of them that are great well i know it's a good one because you didn't even hesitate the second <laughs> like it wasn't a hmm ha like a lot of people do it was just bang off the top of your head so that's, that's exactly right that's definitely one i gotta put down i gotta get a trigger now kyle kyle's got one i don't yeah, I, I well i'm gonna get your recipe and i'm gonna cook that up t-bone so I, and, and, to I, me, and to me a trigger is a smoker you know, they call them yeah. grills. They're really a smoker, to, in my opinion. And I'm not sponsored by Traeger or anything like that. I've got one for that, you know, slow cooking. But I prefer cooking on a griddle, you know, like a, yeah. like Camp Chefs or the Blackstones. And, you know, like if you, I know you guys don't have Waffle House, but, you know, like you go to a Waffle House and you grill up some, they, they got a, they're open 24 hours, yeah. seven days a week. But anyway, they, the griddle in there, man, you can just cook so much stuff on there. I, I, I like a griddle pretty good. Yeah, I love flat top cooking. There's something yep, about yeah. it where you just put everything together and it's all mixed at the end. It's yeah. Know, I've always wanted to go to the awful waffle. I've heard about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. You, it's a must do. If you're in the Southeast, you got to go. Yeah, I can attest. I've, I've had a few nights uh, at, uh, it's always good to go there late night when uh, nothing else is open. So yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so T-Bone, let's, uh, I want to just segue a little bit. Uh, my wife's been bugging me about um, grabbing a bow. She wants to start getting into archery. Uh, I know you've owned the bow shop before, an archery shop. So, um, what what should I be looking at to set her up? She's never shot before, n- never picked up a well, maybe plinked with a twenty two. Doesn't know anything about it. Where do I get started on something like that? Yeah, tr- try to research and find a reputable archery shop in your area. They're going to be a wealth. You know, um, n- nothing against a mass merchant. You know, like a Cabela's, a Bass Pro Shop. They got the equipment. However, if you're not well versed in it, yeah, you know, it, it, it's a tailor. You, you need to be tailor fit um, with a, with the archery equipment. It's it's like a, so many people find good deals online, you know, or on eBay or whatever, and they think, oh man, I've got a good bow, and then it's like buying a pair of pants that are, you know, my size. You know, you guys are a lot smaller than I am. Yeah, you got a good deal on a pair of pants and they're covering your butt, but to say they fit you, no, they don't. Great. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, my dog's running after the Amazon delivery guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I feel that one. I, I picked up my yeah. first bow probably 15 years ago. <laughs> and I got, Sorry. yeah, all good. I got a, a Diamond Razor's Edge, one of the ones yes. that's got the adjustable draw length, and I set it to what I thought was right. And it just, it torqued and it twisted. Then I went to old guy just south of town, about 30 minutes, got his own little shop in the back, back of his uh, garage. And he said it to me and it was like night and day. It was like, holy crap. You learn in yeah. spine length and spline and you're, you're setting your anchor and 
there is a lot to learn about it. And I got the wife into it too. So she loves it. We got a couple of 3D targets and boxes in the backyard. Our, our yard is about 60 yards long. So we can get a good good shot from the carport to the back fence. But it, yeah. it's, yeah, you, you, you nailed it. I've been into it. What I was going to say is to add, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But to, to add to that, I was going to say, you know, getting her set up or what have you, you need to, um, you know, reputable bow shop i, I wasn't going to end just there but make sure that she's not pulling too much weight start her easy you know you want her to be able to shoot 60 yeah. good shots and even though she may not shoot 60 shots you don't want her wore out after she shot 40 shots a day and then draw length is key having the correct draw length is so you know too long a draw length and uh he, he won't too, too long a draw length and he won't um you, you know she's gonna hit her arm she's gonna have a bad experience with it yep Guys, I'm sorry. I get... <laughs> That's okay. Ruth, get in here. <laughs> this is what... Here I got a leg. How am I going to run after it? Oh, yeah. This... Groot, get up here. <laughs> Groot. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's, and it, the, the, here's the thing. is, is Come on, Groot. Come on. Get up here. He's, he's totally fine. Come here, Groot. <laughs> Groot's a, Groot is a uh, half- Pitbull half boxer. Oh, I'm absolutely the nicest dog you've ever yeah. just want to greet you at Groot. And then the Amazon driver is this, uh, this lady is scared to death. I mean, he looks like have you seen it running towards the car. He's like, I got him by the collar. <laughs> oh, she said she's not scared of dogs. Good. I'm, I'm in the middle of a podcast, ma'am. So that's all right. Just put it right there at the door. <laughs> he's just so friendly he, he just awesome thank you ma'am oh that's Bet awesome had that happen on a podcast have you guys no but we actually have had people try and break into a uh a ping pong game out, is that right outside of somebody's office yeah so it's that's great that oh yeah oh. I, I talk about that that slap in the arm oh i figured, yeah, I, oh, I figured that out oh it's yeah awesome. and uh too, too, just too long a draw, you end up hitting your arm, and uh, you know that big time. You know, kind of like me when I had forty-five pounds. When it's a, it's a bad experience, so therefore, you know they're, they're not going to want to do it anymore. And then another thing with 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 ladies, you, too long a draw length is you know they're you, you know some can be voluptuous or whatever. So you know you don't want them to hook a hook a boob, so to speak. You know what I mean? You want to make sure that their draw length is proper so that they're not on their chest or on the side of their chest and, and hitting their, their arm and stuff like that. So I would always uh, kind of lean towards too short. I'd rather someone be a half inch too short a draw as too long a draw because it's a bad experience. And then, you know, make sure that their head is correct and their peep side is correct. And you got to get the arrow spound right and then make sure that it's it's tuned right. And then don't let them shoot you know, like if, if, if they're only pulling 30 pounds, that's fine. You know, it's, you're getting your feet wet. Let them stand there at 10 yards. Let them stand there at 15 yards, 20 yards. And just, I mean, for weeks and months, just like building confidence. If you can hit, you know, if they get to where they're hitting a tennis ball every time at 20 yards, you know how good that's going to feel inside to them. You know, we're, we're used to seeing all these folks shooting at 160 yards and like, I can't do that. I'm not, that's ridiculous. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like shooting at long distance and stuff like that, but that's the only thing we see on the internet anymore. Yeah. What well, I mean, realistically, we're not never going to shoot at a critter usually past thirty-five yards. But yet, for some reason, we're so focused on 
I'm, I'm going to try to kill a deer at 80 yards or 90 yards. That's ridiculous. That ain't, I mean, I mean, I got, I, I feel like I got the skills to do that, but I don't never want to shoot at a deer past 30 yards. Something you guys can appreciate some of the, the, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going down a rabbit hole now here. So I <laughs> love it. But yeah. But so it's, so, it, uh, if you, if you look at the Pope and young records for a white tailed deer, what would you think the, the average distance of most Pope and youngs are killed at? I'd, I'd hope 25 to 35. Yeah. 17 yards. Wow. Think wow. That. The average distance Pope and youngs are killed are at 17 yards. And wow. here we are focused on, man, he may step out at 64. Yeah. Well, it's not a. It's not a. When the when the critter steps out at sixty four yards, it's not about can I shoot sixty four yards? Yeah, I, I get that. That deer can turn around and go the opposite way, and you cut an arrow loose at sixty four. He hears the bow for some reason, or something's not just right, and he's real tense. He's going to turn around and go the other way. I'm not saying you can't kill one at that far, but the the odds and the the laws of average really are against you. Yeah. Of getting a good shot in that thing. I want people to practice at long distance and I want them to be that way because it builds confidence for the shots that they're going to take that are 40 yards and less. But the only reason you should be practicing that far having those pins is basically for a second follow-up shot so that you humanely kill that deer, put that deer down. Or, if, you know, he runs out there and you shot him through the guts because you made a bad shot at 32 yards and he's out there at 75 just kind of wobbling around. Man, they make errors while we sleep. Put another arrow in him. You know, do your best to humanely put him down so that he's not lost. He's not on the neighbors, and you know, you, we recover that deer. So many people, you know, don't don't look at it that way. So we owe it to the animal to to respectfully do that. But yeah, I thought that was a, a cool number. Seventeen point three, seventeen something. Wow, the average distance that a pope and young whitetails killed. So yeah, I've taken a couple of bears with my bow, and it's. I think the longest shot was about 35 yards and it's crazy how far away that looks through a peep sight. Yep. It's, yep. it's not like a rifle where it's a oh, hundred yards. Okay. That's easy. But yeah, you get 30, 30, 35, 40 yards from a bear. It's, or I've never drawn on a deer, but the bear looked so far away. It was like, okay, I know I'm good to 50. This is 35. I can do it. And I did, but it's, it's, it's nuts how far away 35 yards looks through, through yeah. a deep. You're, you're exactly right because you instantly know when you're in the in the moment, you know that that deer could, I mean, that bear, deer, whatever it is, take a step to get another acorn, you know, um, you know, move one leg forward or, you know, flinch, yep. you know, even if it doesn't hear the noise of the bow or the arrow coming down on it, you know, it, it can move just a little bit and it don't take much if you're, you know, aiming at an eight or nine inch plate of vitals, it don't take much to get back into the gut, so. no. No, I've seen some videos on YouTube of people shooting at whitetail and they jump the string or they pancake themselves. It's like crazy yeah. how fast they react. You can't, I mean, you know, people try to get a faster boat out, run them, but the, the real thing is to, to a quieter bow is way more important than a faster bow. Right. Um, another thing I was going to uh, let you guys know, you was asking about your wife, you know, something that adds uh, excitement to that is like if you're shooting at 15 or 20 yards or whatever, blow up some balloons because it works great for kids, but even a, a new beginning archer, there's, there's something about just instant gratification of popping a, popping a balloon. It's like, pow, man, we, we, we got the balloon popped and it helps with the uh, uh, confidence and instant gratification. Yeah. Very cool. 
Um, well, I appreciate that. And uh, I'll keep you posted. I'll let you know how that all goes. So uh, yeah, uh, looking forward to it. Okay. So last thing I just want to touch on before we wrap up here, T-Bone, is uh, let's talk a little bit about not so much your management conservation efforts that you're doing on your, you know, your plots and stuff like that, which is important work too. Uh, I'd like to, can you touch a little bit on, about your work that the conservation organizations you support? So uh, Whitetails Unlimited, uh, I think you did some work with the National Wild Turkey Federation, but let's talk a little bit about uh, about that and the work that you're doing with them. Sure. Uh, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great conservation groups out there and we, we, we should all support all of them, whether it's the sheep foundation, you know, mule deer foundation. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I support all of them NRA. Um, the, the cool thing about it is we know that they are, you know, it's more than just like the conservation efforts. It's the conservation efforts as far as the, the, the sustainability of the species and so that they thrive in certain areas, you know, we support the local um, biologist and the the DNR, the Department of Natural Resources for your areas and, you know, the biologist to where we keep those numbers in check. And they, so again, like they thrive, but, you know, I can speak, I, I mean, all of these groups feel the same way. I feel like Ducks Unlimited, whatever, but I can speak from Whitetails Unlimited they're the oldest and they're the largest whitetail conservation group in the country. And it's more than just, uh, you know, the whitetail conservation efforts. It's the hunting heritage and our second amendment rights. And those are all three things that I think that every conservation group should, you know, definitely put efforts towards because you can conserve the species all you want. But, you know, if, if our hunting rights are taken away and you see it every, you know, it's more and more, you know, where they're trying to ban trail cameras in a lot of, in some of the States out West. I, I can't hardly believe that, but um, you know, we put regulations up and that, that should dictate it. You know, no matter how you kill it, whether it's with a 50 cow or with a slingshot, <laughs> you know, it doesn't really matter if you have certain numbers. So I, I get that. Um, but the second amendment rights, we want to make sure that we, preserve our second amendment rights because you know once you know you once you cave or give an inch you know then it's gonna it's gonna be the downfall and i think we as hunters are all on the conservative side or pretty much i would like to think so anyway most most all are on the conservative side so we need to protect those uh, those are uh, that's our heritage i mean when i say hunting heritage i mean hunting heritage it's a it's a way for us to provide for our family you know we're all hunters you know i talk to a lot of people that are non-hunters when you're on planes and you're traveling and and when you're you know at some of these things to shine a light on it we're all hunters it's just society has made it easier you know instead of having to hunt for our food every day our wife shops for the best deal on a pack of steaks at the grocery store so that we're hunting it's just we're not you know packing up with a musket every day and going out and trying to kill two squirrels so that we got something to eat. We don't, we, I mean, we still do that as, as conservationists and hunters, we do still provide for our family and stuff like that, but through, through convenience and society and just, uh, you know, it's kind of taken that away, but you know, if things break crappy and you know, you know, you don't think that they ever will, but they might sure is nice to know that we have that skill set to provide for our family and that we are, you know, uh, top of the food chain as far as that goes. So we do need to protect those. It may seem trivial. It's like, well, I, you know, I ain't really for pistols or nothing. I'm like, look, if they take anything from you, it's just a matter of time before they take all from you. So, uh, 
that's the good thing about these conservation groups. And and I will say this about Whitetails Unlimited: fifty percent of all the net dollars raised with uh, Whitetails Unlimited at each chapter stays with that chapter. So you know a lot of conservation groups, and I'm you know they they're, they're all doing good, but sometimes they'll take eighty percent of the proceeds and you know and do something with it somewhere else. Whereas these this group of people. Are, are working hard, you know, the blue collar workers going to these events and they like to see works. It's a little different with uh, whitetails because they're so widespread, you know, it's all over the country, but it's like, nice to know that if, if you're wanting to start a, a, a gun range in your area and you're trying to raise money for that, or you got a youth program where you're taking uh, veterans hunter or youth hunters or disabled hunters, and you're raising money in the local areas, 50% of those net dollars stay right there for your program. So that's, that's sure is nice to know that, when you're out, when the, the groups are out there pounding the pavement, trying to raise money that they're doing it, not just for uh, going back to headquarters and then the money being spent on some program, you know, two states away, if that makes sense. Not that it's not, not all not good. Sure does make you have a little better incentive knowing that 50% of that is going right there to the grassroots of your area. So I know a lot of the other uh, uh, conservation groups, uh, do a lot of the similar the same things it's a little different with the sheep sheep foundation i know because um you know sheep ain't found everywhere you know they're they're in a, they're a niche area so we we do have to pile more money to where they are and do the right things but as a whole we don't need to lose sight of protecting our hunting heritage and our second amendment rights because that is the core of the nucleus and all things are 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 uh, from that and then another good group that i'm seeing a lot of is uh Hunter's Nation. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that, but Ted Nugent does something uh, with that. If you if you'll Google Hunter's Nation, um, Heath Marks, and uh, there's they're they're doing a lot of good things as far as uh, um, protecting our Second Amendment right because uh, they're they're right there at the core of it uh, in in DC. You know, I always want to ask you guys where are you two guys from? I mean, like where 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 am I talking to you at? We're both from British. I'm up in British Columbia. Okay. We're up in BC. Yeah. So uh, we're speaking the same language. It's a little oh. different uh, in Canada. But, um, and so, you know, T-Bone, I wanted to touch on that. And you talk about hunter heritage and about how important it is and and about taking one thing away. And everyone's like, ah, you know, see a lot of this kind of, you know, floating around where people are like, ah, whatever. It, you know, it's not what they do. So they don't, they're not so worried about protecting it. Right. And, yeah. you know, I think you brought up a good point and I agree with you. I think it's a slippery slope. You take one little piece of the thing and it, it's a trickle effect. And then every, and all of a sudden they come for your thing. And while you didn't stand up for my thing, I think as, as a community, we really have to do a, you know, put it front of mind that we, ha- we have to stand up for all the stuff. If, if it's something we, we can get behind collectively, we should all be getting behind it. And yeah, just cause you don't own a pistol or you don't own a muzzle loader or you don't hunt sheep or you don't hunt goats or, or, or Turkey that you shouldn't defend that. I think we all need to, you know, we, we need to, there's enough people that want to take it all away that we have to start with the small stuff. So. Yeah, it seems like, uh, you know, you know, you think hunters and you, you you talk about who's a hunter and you get the number of millions and you think like, well, that's a big group, honestly. Um, you know, and, it, and if you quadrant that out, sheep hunters or, you know, people are, you know, more so for sheep or more so for mule deer. I can't relate to a whitetail hunter because I'm out in the West and, you know, turkey hunters and such like that. At the end of the day, we're under the same umbrella and we all need to, you know, it, it may seem big. But actually, it, it can be small. And 
we all know this. We've seen this trend uh, in this day and age. It's not like when I, and I'm classifying you guys as in my age group or our age group. You know, we grew up hunting and fishing and we didn't have the distractions that the kids have today with electronics and, you know, uh, you know, hunting is not as fast paced as some of the stuff that you can see on mm-hmm. TV or, you know, my, my son does not even watch a television program anymore. He can't sit through a movie because and a lot of kids are this way because it's not fast enough. They like to live live three minutes at a time, you know, three minute clip, three minute clip, three minute clip. And I and I, I see that, you know, and you're not going to we're not going to fight it. Or we're not going to win against it. It's technology so big, but that needs to be thought about in for our hunting heritage. Because you know, when when I was bored, when I was a kid, I'd get a stick and a pine cone, and I and I, that's how I I stayed busy there for an hour or two. Or you know, you you go find. I didn't want to come in if it was daylight. I was outside. Whereas kids aren't that way anymore. You know, you do have team sports and stuff like that, but you, you it, it it can be rough. I mean, for the per high percentage of kids that are interested in hunting it's it, we're not seeing those numbers anymore so we got to make sure that we include them so that for generations to come because you know internet's only been around what 20 years you know that which is not that long so we're we're we are in changing times guys i mean not much is different from like say 1995 to 65 not much different you know i mean yeah there is some advancements but still had a tv still had a car still go hunting still you know I, I can remember going to high school with a gun in my back window, but things have changed a bunch in the last 20 years. And, you know, judging from what I see, they're going to change a bunch more in the next 20 years. So we all need to make sure more than ever to support these groups and, or make sure you dig your heels in for our rights as second amendment. Well, I say second amendment. I'm, talking to British Columbia, but the right to bear arms, let's put it that way. So for those that don't know what the second amendment right is for the United States, it is the right to bear arms. So, uh, you know, meaning like to have your guns. So we need to stand up for that. We need to stand for the hunting heritage because otherwise it's just a matter of time and, you know, slowly but surely they'll start whittling away. And then once it's gone, it's hard to get it back or dang near impossible. Yeah. Well said T-Bone. That's, uh, you know, I th- I, that's a great point, and and I think that's something we can end on and take away with us if if we're gonna take away anything from this is is uh, yeah we really need to keep that front of mind and and we're seeing that here in BC. It I, Canada's I think we're much worse in Canada than your you guys are down there. You, you guys have done a pretty good job of standing up for your Second Amendment rights and your hunter heritage, and and in BC and Canada we're we're struggling a bit there, and we got to do a better job. So um, yeah, thank you so much for for coming on the show. Um, I guess kind of just to wrap it up, um, if people want to watch and they want to learn and, and, and get involved with what you're doing, how do they see you? Where do they go and watch? Um, do you want to give a little uh, rundown on, on where they can see you at? Sure. Uh, Bone Collector is the name of our show. Um, been in existence since 2008. You can watch it on the Outdoor Channel. It's on three or four times a week. Just go to Outdoor Channel or Bone Collector to see the times. Um, you know, we got, we run 26 new episodes a year. We're on every week of the year. And then, uh, also on real tree road trips. Of course, if you like to stream stuff, you can find it on, you know, we have a YouTube channel as well as, uh, my outdoor TV, uh, which is an app that you get through outdoor channel and you can watch all of, I mean, you can watch hunting shows till, till you're de- definitely gray headed. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, you know, through social media, you can follow myself at T bone outdoors on Instagram, Twitter and uh, Facebook. 
And then, of course, bonecollector.com uh, and Bone Collector on the Instagram and stuff. You can find us there, too. So, um, you know, pre, you know, I don't know how many fans I have or, or we have from British Columbia, but, man, we pre, if you if you go out there and you, you're you're hunting and, and an outdoorsman, man, we're we're supportive of that. And we appreciate y'all's support in return. So thank you guys for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. Keep up the great work. Yeah, we appreciate it, too. Travis, thank you so much, and uh, look forward to, to seeing you uh, get back on your feet, uh, so to speak, and getting back out in the field and doing what you love, and uh, and just following that journey. and And maybe uh, you know, maybe six months down the road or a year down the road, let's let's touch mm-hmm. base again. Let's get on here and let's talk about your current season, what you're doing, and and uh, and see where you're at. But we we sure appreciate you. We're all pulling for you with uh, with all your treatments, and we're really you know, I, I just love to. I'm looking at you now. You're smiling at us. I just love I love that. Yeah. So thank you. No, no, thank you guys. I appreciate all the support. And uh, yeah, it just just got to be steady. And right now, I just got to remember to be patient and just heal slowly, heal, heal smart, and then yeah. we'll, we'll be there before you know it. Absolutely.